Welcome to another episode of Wampa Radio, a podcast about Star Wars Unlimited TCG headlines, uh, news, strategy, insight, discussion, um, so many things. Shenanigans, chicanery, yeah. all sorts of other things that are going to come when you and I do any sort of content together. Yeah, I wrote a script and we're already off of it. Like, this is the beauty yeah, of it. It's like, I'm it. looking at it right here. And this is, it seems like the easiest part where it's just like, let's introduce it. You say the same thing every episode. Between you and I, we've probably recorded nearly a thousand episodes of things. And Oh, we, easy. Yeah, and we still cannot lock this down nonetheless uh we're gonna talk about star wars and star wars cards specifically and i am joined by my the the chewbacca to my han that would be charmer how are you buddy i am doing charmtastic i'm charmbaka apparently charmbaka we're gonna go with it yeah i think we're gonna go with that i like and that I, I'm, I'm fine with that i can be charmbaka uh <laughs> I kind of really like. I know that. that we're already off the rails, but I will say I'm I am doing fantastic, and for many reasons, we got some new stuff to talk about. Uh, I know we had mentioned in the previous episode that you and I were going to talk a bit about organized play this week, but there are actual headlines still to cover. So with that, I'm very excited to dive into this episode. But before we do that, we have to hit the Wampa Cave Poll of the Week. <laughs> And for those who do not remember, we kind of teased it last week as well. Uh, this was posted on Twitter. You can follow us there. It's uh, at Wampa Radio. You can take part in these glorious community activities. The question was, what is the most memorable use of a lightsaber by a non-force sensitive character? And the four options this week were Han opens the Tauntaun, Finn versus... Uh, <laughs> I know it says FN2199, but to, in my head, I, it's just... Traitor! Traitor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, then Grievous Windmill action, and then Cad Bane versus Obi-Wan from Clone Wars. Okay. Or actually, no, that one was uh, Rebels? No, I, Clone Wars. Yeah, I think Clone it was Wars. Clone Wars. So there's... There are... So, yeah, you, you kind of, like, actually, pref, you know, primered this one for us last week because you said this would be a great... A great you know, um, a poll to have. So we did it and that's great, which actually the whole intro to this episode has inspired me for what's the greatest duo in star Wars history. And we'll, we'll put a poll out next week. But, uh, one thing about this poll that surprised me, and it is the fact that Cad Bane versus Obi-Wan got more votes than Finn versus FN two one nine nine. I am super surprised at that because Having rewatched all of them before I cast my vote, I was like, I don't think a lot of people are even going to remember Cad Bane versus Obi Wan because in reality, it wasn't even all that. Like, it wasn't like the battle itself was long enough, but the time where he like he didn't use the lightsaber for all that long in that fight. No, he didn't. But I think there's a couple of things that are working in his favor here. One, Cad Bane is just a very popular uh, villain, right? It's that iconic bounty hunter. He was kind of the Boba Fett. If, I know Boba Fett was in Clone Wars, but he was kind of like the Boba Fett for Clone Are you Wars. Where he's, he was he's like the Boba Fett of Star Wars. 
No, no, I was going to say of Clone Wars, but then I remembered like Boba Fett's technically in Clone Wars, but it's more just like, you know, you watch the original trilogy and Boba Fett stands out because he's like this ominous bounty hunter that's kind of mysterious. You don't know much about him. And then Cad Bane shows up in Clone Wars and he's got that same thing. And while Boba Fett was known for his outfit, he had the cool armor outside of Vader. He was the only one that like stood out. Cad Bane, he's got the hat, right? He's got the the very familiar face, the eyes, right? So I think... There's just a lot of things that draw people to Cad Bane as a character. So with that being said, I think it's his popularity, but I also think it's the fact that it was at least a battle because uh, the the Finn one was, I mean, it was a good battle, but it I think it was a, a bit underhyped compared to some of the other ones. Uh, and if I'm being honest, like I'm more surprised that Han has as many votes as he does. I know that it was the first time that it happened, but like, he basically uses it as a as a can opener, right? Like he's here, some fresh tauntaun, and then like that's it. That was, I think, one of the scenes, one of the very, I think it was the only scene out of the hundreds and hundreds of rewatches I've done of all Star Wars content where I think when I was younger, it was the one scene where I would look away. I, like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's just kind of gross. But Every time it would come up, I knew when it was coming, and I would just look away because, like, that's oh, just disgusting. Um, what's funny is like the way that I worded it of Han opens the tauntaun. The tauntaun sounds like a like a dive bar somewhere. He, like he <laughs> like he retired and he opened the tauntaun. Like welcome to the tauntaun. And uh, yeah, so that's the poll, and I think that it is a it is a a worthy winner, which is Grievous with the windmill action. And I have to say that. This is probably, like, I, you know that scene from The Simpsons where it's like, Bart's like, I'm going to be doing this. And if you get mm -hmm. in my way, then that's on you. And Lisa's like, well, I'm going to be kicking the air like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I feel like that strategy is, if you got four limbs, you could do both. You could kick and punch, like, uh, all at the same time. But to me, I, it feels like it, it's just, it's such an effective strategy where yeah of course you do that it's like when you when when i would be watching wrestling and they're like no holds barred no rules no nothing no disqualification and i'm like then just shoot the guy just shoot the guy and win like there's no count outs there's no nothing there's no disqualification show up with a baseball bat or a, or a gun or whatever a sword and just win the match it's the kind of same thing because grievous shows up starts doing his thing disco lights the whole place up and I'm like, yeah, I could see why he beat so many lesser Jedi. I It stands out to me for two reasons. The first is that it is the second half of perhaps the most iconic exchange of the entire prequel trilogy, which is, hello there, General Kenobi, right? Like, And then the lightsabers come out. Are so, you an angel? You, that one doesn't yeah. get any respect? I mean, but not as much as like, <laughs> there are so many people I know who barely watch Star Wars, but I've trained them at this point where if I say hello there, they know how to respond. But the other reason it stands out to me is because very few things like clicked for me in that prequel trilogy the first time I watched it. I have a greater appreciation, I think, like most folks do now after the fact. But I do remember thinking that at the time when I watched it, when I saw it, that it was like, oh, okay, the Jedi can block blaster bolts because of the force and they can see it coming and they can do the thing and grievous can't do that so what does he figure he can do use robot arms to just spin it so fast he'll hit one anyway you know what i mean it was like him using technology in place of the force and i was like oh that's that makes sense like i get it so i don't know that always stood out to me when he just 
spins the helicopter. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. Oh, it's it's perfect. I, I have to say, I completely agree with you that it's pretty badass, and he justifiably wins, even though my vote was for Han and the Tauntaun. Uh, my it was a close call, but again, I am I am very surprised that there's no love for Finn, uh, at least relatively holding his ground against until I guess a bowcaster bolt just <laughs> blew that mofo away, which was another awesome line from that movie where he's like, "You've been using this the whole time. This is amazing." I'm like, "Yeah, damn straight. It's a bowcaster." Yeah. Ugh. It's like uh, somebody who, you know, Han's got the pistol and then he picks up a 50 cal for the first time ever, you know, and it's uh, like, oh, oh, this has a kick. Wow. Yeah, uh, basically. Uh, all right. So let's hit the headlines for this episode of Wampa Radio. And uh, the most prominent of the headlines is that a new card has been dropped at the time of this uh, recording. And again, uh, the fact that we're getting anything new is pretty awesome. Like, even if it's like a little bit once a week, keep in mind that we are still easily six to eight months away from the 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 even fathoming the game releasing so uh yeah. we got a new card it's a leader it is leia organa and uh leia organa is an alliance general so what i like about this is that this is post a new hope this is this is hoth leia right like this is hoth leia yeah. You can see her kind of in the Echo War Room here. She's at the display. Uh, she's clearly uh, yelling at somebody saying, where's my latte? And wondering what the hell's going on. But she has the text of action, uh, tap. We don't know the, what the technical term is. Uh, attack with a rebel unit. Then you may attack with another rebel unit. Now, what we need to understand about the rules from this game also are that you get one action per turn. So what this this leader is essentially allowing you to do is to attack twice. So it gives you a, essentially an additional action, which is great. Her epic action is if you control five or more resources, deploy the leader. And what does the leader say? So the leader has a uh, raid one, right? And it says that when this unit attacks, it gets plus one uh, to the attack value. So it's normally a three, six, it's going to jump up to a four, six. And then when this unit completes an attack, you may attack with another rebel unit, which as you were saying, when you're taking one action at a time, that's a very big deal, right? Because it's essentially a double attack. Now you do have to use another unit. I love that thematically because she's supposed to be in her leadership role here. So it's like, she's leading the charge and then she's got another rebel unit with her but i think that this has the potential to be very strong uh it's not you know i show up like the vader one when it was teased it was interesting because it was very clearly like vader shows up and like i'm gonna take control of the battlefield myself i'm not gonna rely on other people vader is the force but here i can very much see where you know you're using her to facilitate some of your other better rebel units and i i like that they're already kind of playing into those themes thematically you're spot on and that's a point that i wanted to make as well is that so far uh in terms of of the flavor of the cards i'm getting again once again getting those star wars ccg feels where the cards and the game text were so akin to the personas that they were meant to embody and Re leia you know, uh, Alliance General here, it's not like if another unit attacks first, then she goes. She goes first, baby. She is she is the spearhead of this, and then everybody gets inspired behind her, and then somebody will follow her into battle to, to do whatever. So um, this, to me, 
reeks of an aggro type of um, archetype, potentially, putting a lot of dudes on the board, attacking multiple times, attacking the base, maybe, you know, uh, just having like a, a two-for-one or two-on-one kind of scenario. Uh, but so far, this is the the newest card that we have solidified and revealed. But you got excited about something else that dropped. I mean, I, I got excited about a lot of things. Um, but yeah, one of the things that they had posted on Twitter and I missed it, I was just telling you before we started recording, I think my Twitter's broken. I somehow missed it because I would have lost my mind had I seen it. Now, this was just artwork, but it was a picture of Hera and Sabine, obviously from the show Star Wars Rebels. Now, this is exciting for me personally for a number of reasons. One, uh, last show I had said that you know, I feel like we're going to expand into some of these other areas and that there's a lot of material to draw on and that I didn't think that we were going to quite hit, you know, some of these other shows right away. I thought it might be just, you know, that first trilogy. Uh, but this is this is artwork, as we also mentioned, that has been sought out just for this game, right? We mentioned in the previous show that they are doing all original artwork just for this game. So if they commissioned this, it's for a reason, likely for a card, which means that in the you know, nearer future than I originally anticipated, we're going to likely get some Rebels characters, including Hera, Sabine. Sabine's one of my favorite characters. So while we don't know what this does, uh, it could end up just being like an event and they're in the picture, who knows? But the fact that they're already incorporating them from the universe is a big win for me. Now, I've gone on record uh, in various different games and various different platforms saying that I am not a cosmetics chaser. I'm not a bling player um but i did say and you could probably go back to god knows how many podcasts you know years and years over the years that we've been doing this where i have said that my one weakness is if like for example if magic the gathering came out with a star wars collaboration i'm a sucker i'm probably going to look for the the most pristine you know, blinged out version of my favorite characters. So like Han Solo, whatever. Here we are, and there's a brand new Star Wars game coming out. And in my mind, I was like, all right, how much am I going to be chasing these like rare variants, these these marvels as they were, these, these variants that are like, you know, extended art, super rare, kind of whatever. And in my mind, I was like, dude, the worst thing that they can do is put out this like ultra rare Han Solo, you know, and that is like, cold foil given given the cold foil treatment given the full art treatment and i'd be like dear lord so uh is is sabine like one of the ones where if they do come out with those chase card variants that you'd you'd probably have to throw down a pretty penny for um yeah probably sabine is my favorite character from rebels i like almost all of the rebels crew don't get me wrong um and they're there's a lot of love for me there, um, for for Ezra, for Zeb. I love Zeb. You know, Carabast, it needs to be a card, but it's probably Sabine is if we're talking like Rebels. Now, uh, I will also admit that I have a soft spot for Asajj. Uh, Asajj Ventress, you know, as we start talking Clone Wars, her kind of... It's not even like a redemption arc. I think that's why I enjoy hers more. I think that the true redemption arcs are a bit cliche, but hers is like, you know, I was evil... And then I'm just going to not be totally evil, like still kind of walk to the gray line, but found a, a path that worked for her in the end. Like, her, you know, her transition into the 
you know, the the seedy underworld, if you will. I, I don't know. It just always really appealed to me, and I liked her as an, an antagonist. So uh, Asajj is another one for me. Asajj Ventress, if they do something with her, I'm, I'm stuck chasing it. Beauty. Well, that's uh, what we got in terms of news uh, as we record this again, June 15th, around uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. So if something comes out after this, well, we'll talk about it next week. Um, let's get to the main topic of the show this week, Charmer, which was organized play. We talked about this a little bit last week um, that we were going to dig into this. And uh, yeah, so we're still in the early stages of the entire game. So, you know, we're, we can't really dig into much. But I think that this is definitely an episode worth talking about because you and I both have a lot of experience when it comes to organized play, structure, that kind of thing. So uh, as it stands, I actually, I'm just going to come out with this right out of the gate, which is that I reached out to, um, I don't want to say it, make it sound cryptic uh, or anything, but my contacts <laughs> at Star Wars Unlimited, uh, the the wonderful people there who who reply to me when I when I in, inquire about something who listen to the show actually they listened to the first episode and they they said that it they they liked the show so that's that's a feather in our cap we yeah, love it great liars already oh definitely of course yeah they're definitely Jedi mind tricking us right out of the gate but I asked them I said is there anything that you can give us regarding organized play and and as little as just tell us what you know the the tiers of planetary sector regional etc you know what is what do these mean and they said we can't tell you yet however what they did say is that that a lot of this is going to be fleshed out and revealed i would say soon they didn't give us a time frame i asked for a time frame and they said hold your uh, hold your tauntauns there buddy and i said okay no problem so that all this to say is that I would my guess is that this summer we will get a much more fleshed out organized play system uh, in terms of the the exact structure, what every one of these tiers mean, what the prize structure is about, and that's what we're going to get into in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I will say I think it'll be after summer. So my speculation is I think we're going to find out about organized play in fall, and there's a reason for that. Just like I think that our card reveals actually have a, a purpose. I've been thinking about this a bit more because I've, you know, signed up for the demo, the uh, kind of learn to play experience at Gen Con, right? So obviously at a minimum, some starter decks or, or learn to play decks will be out in the wild by the time Gen Con rolls around. So I think that the cards that we are getting kind of teased to us are lead-ins to that. I think these are going to be things from starter decks that they're probably going to use to teach people how to play the game at Gen Con because once people get there and they start taking photos, you lose the opportunity to do those teasers anyway. Uh, similarly, I think that they're going to probably wait till after that experience when more people have had their hands on the game and then they'll announce the organized play. I think that's the way that they plan on rolling it out. Now, again, I don't have any extra details. Um, as you said, they're, they're not giving them to us but just kind of based on you know our experience in in tcgs that would make an awful lot of sense to me for a rollout but now i would argue actually that gen con is the perfect time to make a splash because you're up against like a juggernaut of like lorcana assuming that it doesn't get tied up in, <laughs> in legal red tape uh if you want more on that i also have a podcast called podcana where we went we just spent 
two straight episodes digging into that legal nonsense. But my suspicion is that, like, if you're at Gen Con, you're up against a lot of competition, of course. And how do you set yourself apart other than having a wicked-ass game? You're up against a juggernaut of Disney and Lorcana. How do you combat that? How do you create a buzz? How do you make a headline, essentially? You know, how do you get within the first couple paragraphs of, like, a, a Gen Con recap? You announce a massive OP system with the prize money, you know, built in. And why is that? Why does that matter? Because your competition, potentially Lorcana, doesn't have that. Lorcana has gone on record as saying initially that they're not they're not going to have like a competitive organized play system. And then when there was like a little bit of pissing and moaning about that, they kind of walked it back and said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 we don't have one." right now in the first year or so but we're working on one and we'll let you know about that when it becomes relevant now my the thing about you know these kinds of things is that if you do have if if competitive organized play is on your mind that is part and parcel of the initial release that comes with it because that generates so much buzz you're now talking to a demographic of players the competitives who have something to play for they have stakes to play for because you'll get the whales for games but you know i'm not gonna lie my my enticement towards other games like lorcana dipped a little or dipped a decent amount when they're like yeah we've got no real big tournaments so you're gonna be playing at your lgs and picking up points and whatever that ultimately don't really result to much this, on the other hand, if they're going up against Lorcana, one of the things that, like, one of the aces up their sleeve that they can drop is being like, million dollar year one payday for, you know, our world championships, which is the basically the baseline now for any kind of OP system. I mean, you're absolutely right. It will entice a certain demographic. I think, for me personally, though, I don't think that that is dependent on revealing that info during the time sensitive window that is gen con like whether you announce that at gen con or a month later you announce a big tournament thing and there's enough money behind it you know people will show up you and i both personally know folks who did not care about battle spirits for example until they announced that hey there's money involved there's going to be a big tournament a bunch of people picked it up I, I think that that announcement can be made anytime i think that for gen con they likely want to showcase the game for the game's sake in the best possible light and then go from there which is why i think that they haven't shared with us for example because they don't i don't think they want that organized play part to actually overshadow the gameplay i think they want to demo that and then drop the money bomb but i do think that there will be a big announcement um so we should we should probably dive into what they have released so far because there is uh, a press release that you can find on the primary website. It takes a little bit of finagling to get there, but uh, they they do have a graphic um, that kind of also showcases what their uh, overall thought process is. Again, there's nothing that has uh, been released in terms of details, but this is just kind of uh, what they are envisioning for the organized play. Uh, they do also, uh, I want to quickly mention, say that casual play is still also a very important piece of their puzzle. It's not like oh, they're going to go all in and only service the uh, hardcore players. They absolutely want anyone who wants to play the game to be able to do so. They talk about pre-releases being casual events in their mind, weekly play at stores, and even store showdowns is, is a term that they used on their uh, press release, right? And so they still want 
even if you want some level of like you know competitive play that to be accessible to casual players without it being the true competitive track yeah so we'll start with casual because again it was split up between casual and competitive essentially organized play systems but we'll start with casual because they were very adamant in their in that press release or in that news segment or that news article that they very much wanted to uh, appeal to both but they also made a point of of saying we are very aware that competitive is a massive part of this but we also are very aware that there are some people who just want to play for fun try new things and whatnot and that's the competitive circuit so the competitive circuit like you mentioned comprise is comprised of pre-release events I think those are fairly self-explanatory. We'll start with pre-release events. Pre-release events, for those who aren't aware, are basically usually the week before uh, something is slated or five days before something is slated to officially release. Things you typically release on Fridays or are are up for sale on Fridays. Usually the Friday or the Saturday before, they'll do the pre-release, which are, are, are specific kits. Or it's like sometimes it's just – it's a sealed – it's a limited event – wherein you get a limited amount of packs, you play with those packs only, and then you declare a winner, you have games and, and such. So pre-release, very much a thing, which also leads me to believe, Charmer, that limited is very much in play for this one, my friend. Yeah, that was something that I was just like dying to dive into, because I know this is listed under casual, but the competitive player in me <laughs> got really excited when I saw this because my favorite format in any trading card game are competitive limited events. So draft and or sealed, you you get a card pool that is not, you know, just the best deck in the format and you make the most of it and then try to, you know, outskill sometimes not just your opponent, but your own deck, right? Like if you get a subpar pool, a lot of the fun in limited play is figuring out how to take an absolute, you know, hunk of junk and turn it into the Millennium Falcon. So I love that they're going to be doing pre-releases because that likely means it'll support limited. Yes. And that's the biggest part about this is that the, like just because we see pre-release on the on the casual side of, of the OP structure, doesn't mean that we're not going to see like, Hey, this, this, you know, this sector qualifier, which we'll get into is draft or this sector qualifier or this planetary qualifier is sealed so i am so on board for this um which makes me super happy but then again do leaders how do leaders play in that's a whole other ball game can you play without a leader like are leaders like planeswalkers where they're kind of like bombs to a degree where you you get one and like you just feel strong but Pre-release uh, events, yeah. I think, so not to derail too much, but I think you're required to choose a leader because the factions on your leader are mentioned as uh, how you are restricting your deck building in the uh, rule set that was released. Do they at least mention that? Maybe you can just play without a leader and only play like generics or something, but it's my understanding as of right now that the... Uh, icons and factions associated with your leader will also dictate the kinds of cards you can include during deck building. I'm looking now at Leia, and I'm wondering, I don't know if you have it, if you can pull it up, but like, are there, do you see rarity symbols on any of these cards? Because 
for those who are like, how do you, how can you draft a game that has classific like class restrictions on building? Because you're like, well, in Magic, you can just add the lands to pay for whatever cards you want. How do you do it? Flesh and Blood does it very, very well. It's merely a matter of you have to identify and and commit to a class fairly, you know, I don't want to say soon, but depending on the set that you're that you're drafting. You know, we still haven't seen if there's, like, neutral cards. Like, a Tusken Raider has no affiliation, right? Like, it, so maybe, a, like, a, a Rebel can take it. Maybe uh, maybe they're just out there as generic or neutral faction cards that are draftable, etc. So, did you find any? So, uh, so, there is something that I believe is a rarity. Um, as I'm looking at some of the stuff that was released in the rules... Uh, for like the photo of Vader's lightsaber in the bottom right, there is a small icon that looks like it's like black and white. But then in that same rule set, uh, images that were released, there's a card called Vanquish, and that one does not have a black and white symbol. There's very clearly red on it. So Whoa. I think that there's going to be a look, rarity. Look at Wing Leader and Grand Moff Tarkin, because Wing Leader at the bottom right. Uh, to the left of the set or the the card number designation is a U, and if you go to Grand Moff Tarkin, in that same spot is an S. So U is uncommon, and S is super rare. That is how it has always been and forever shall be. So this also clues us in a little bit to potentially yeah. what rarity tiers there are, where. You know, but my suspicion now at looking at this, and again, we're going to probably do a whole episode about the anatomy of a card and, and that kind of stuff. But my suspicion right now is that leaders are tokens like like in flesh and blood. I I mean, I would suspect that because, again, of the limited. Now, you might have like rare leaders that you can draft. Yes. just Like there are in, in, in flesh and blood and things like that where you can play them if you open them. But I do suspect that there will be a, a number of. You know, leaders that are in that in that realm. Look at Darth Vader. Look at Luke Skywalker. There's both super rares, or they're both S in that where we suspect the rarity symbol is. Whereas Leia doesn't have that. So I think that we're onto something here. I think that we're onto something here where leaders are like can be the stronger leaders, perhaps. But you do have the token based stuff that you can kind of slap in there because you need a leader nonetheless. All right, we're getting somewhere, baby. We're getting somewhere. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, so that's pre-release. Uh, the other aspect here is weekly play. Uh, weekly play to me smells like, uh, FNM, like Friday Night Magic, smells like armories from Flesh and Blood. So to me, this is merely a, a matter of low, low, low XP generation, low return, um, you know, low cost of entry, low return in terms of you know, prizing and such, it's merely a matter of like, hey, every, one day a week at this LGS, this is what we play. This is the format. Every store has a schedule. This is just going to be another date or blip on the radar that they jam on there. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like to me. I suspect that just like with those other games, there will likely be some sort of like participation promos or things to help get people into the stores. Um, playing the game, things like that. But that that is exactly what I expect it to be. Just a nice low stakes. You show up, you play with friends, you know, maybe you bring some wonky decks that you want to try out. 
that you wouldn't, you know, play in a competitive environment and you just have fun with it. Um, then there is the store showdown. And to me, store showdown, I think is probably going to be like the, it's, it's kind of like the culmination. Like it's the biggest casual thing that you can do. It'll probably have like a 10 or $15 entry fee. You'll probably have like a, a store champion, uh, where, you know, um, FFG is probably going to supply like, Hey, like here's your store champion kit for the month. It might be like a monthly, like local championship where they give out a play mat. They give out like a, a special foil or something to the winner and this and that. And there's participation prizes. But to me, it just yeah, it sounds like a, a very localized, you know, LGS specific kind of like store championship that they're, they're putting together. Yeah. I think that, the level of support it gets is going to depend on frequency. So if it's monthly, you're right. I think it might be like a playmat or like a specific foil or something. I could see so, something along the lines of them doing this once a, a season because we do know from the announcement they plan on doing it, I think it was three sets a year. So if maybe they designate each set into a season, let's say, and at the end of each season, you have like a store showdown. And then in that case, I could see it being akin to like a skirmish from Flesh and Blood. Oh, which yeah. Like that middle ground. It's like the highest casual, but still like on the low end of true competitive, not quite even a battle hardened, but still like good prizing and and things like that. So I, I could see them doing something similar to that. I think that's uh, I think that's a very fair assessment. Um that uh basically wraps up what we know you know there's not much but what yeah, we know about, uh, the oh, casual casual side what what you and i are <laughs> are really salivating over is the fact that not just that they're like hey here's like a little teaser about what we're doing from a perspective of competitive play but that part of that press release that little article that they put out was the fact that they absolutely recognize that this is something that is part and parcel with the tcg now it's not necessarily just about collecting the cards you like and playing with your friends it's about throwing down with the best in the world and really coming out with you know like rankings or or something like that elo it, it's the it's just the the true nature of what esports is now and that translates into tcgs everybody wants to see where they're at everybody wants to get a snapshot of their of their talent or their or their skill set or whatever from me playing overwatch and agonizing over you know a, a, a win or a loss here or there when there's something at stake when the games matter it it just it adds a little bit of an extra adrenaline the experience is better and they are aware of that and i gotta give them kudos for this because they just came out and said dude we are totally on board with the fact that you guys are horny for some points and we are going to make sure that we give you plenty of opportunities to show the world you know just how nerdy you can be oh absolutely and the fact that it's not even just like oh we're gonna have organized play and here's a tiny graphic that may or may not mean anything, but it's the fact that they already announced that there is going to be like a qualification structure. So we don't know the specifics, but they did in that release say um, some really important key pieces. So I actually want to read this paragraph here real quick. This says competitive play events award tournament points, but the number of points awarded depending on how well you place, these points will be tied to your profile on 
the Star Wars Unlimited official website, the full version of which will launch closer to the game's release. So that tells me they've already got something like a gem in place. And that's also probably, if I'm being honest, why the website feels so bare bones now, because they're probably doing a bunch of development on the backside and they're going to do all of that big release at, at one time, right? In one big go. Um, but then even further, it says, if you accumulate enough tournament points, you can earn yourself an invitation to the Star Wars Unlimited Galactic Championship. I'm assuming this is like their world championship, right? But they're just calling it the Galactic Championship. And then they say they'll go into more detail about competitive play at a later date. But for now, here's a sneak peek at what the OP structure for this game will look like. And then that's when they provide the graphic. Um, but again, the fact that it's not even just like, okay, we're going to have an organized play thing. They've already considered, you know, a point structure, a qualification structure, and that they're building the software on the back end. Like that is a huge step. What I really like about this, and again, this this sort of speaks to my lizard brain that likes to acquire things, which is the point structure. Like when I compete at uh, like a flesh and blood event, and for example, like competing at a, a calling, and you know, going five and two at a calling or four and three at a calling in my mind i'm like all right well i'm not necessarily in contention to top eight this thing but i did score myself like 30 some odd points or 36 points or you know or however many mm -hmm. points or 30 points to towards my xp rating which does like it says here qualify you for other things and this is the like I'll be straight. I'll be straight up about this. The first time I ever qualified for national championships in Canada for Flesh and Blood, it wasn't because I won a tournament. It was because I placed, I performed above average over a greater span of tournaments. Where it's like, all right, you're you're good. You just haven't you haven't got the big one yet. So welcome aboard. Like you qualify on points, and I really like this uh, because it does. It does reward the players who devote a lot of their time to it. And I get it because a lot of people are not going to have the same skills. They're not going to have the same experience. Uh, they might not have the same luck as some people. But if you just go to these events, play the game, and even if you're not winning everything all the time, or if you're coming out with, you're, you're still getting rewarded, and maybe you don't qualify for the Galactic Championship, but maybe you get enough points to go experience what the next level is and that might be that little bit of of sort of freebie juice that they give you where the, you know like the first one's free but i'm sure you want to see what the next level is you know it feels like i don't want to ever compare anything to scientology but like you go to you go it's like all right you want to see what the next thing is that's gonna cost you so or like or you know like lord Zeno's here yeah. and he's gonna whatever and <laughs> Uh, but ultimately, I am so on board with a point system, a profile, and something that tracks your progress. I love that aspect. Yeah, I do too. Especially, as you said, you got in because you were consistent. And I think that that's something that oftentimes goes unrecognized in card games. But the reality is whether uh, it's a game with a lot of variants like Magic the Gathering, lower variants like Flesh and Blood, or even traditional card games like poker, the real draw is in part the randomness and adapting to the unpredictability but that also means that some of the best players in the world don't win every event right it's not like a, a physical traditional sport where the best players are just going to outperform every time or most of the time even in card games like you could be the best player in the world and have a 60 percent win rate depending on the game and the format so 
40% of the time or four out of, you know, 10 tournaments, you're not getting the finish that you want. So again, anytime that you can reward consistency, you can bring in the points. I just think that that's a really big win. But again, for me, it was just the forethought saying like, hey, this isn't being tacked on as uh, we think we should do it. It was, no, we are prioritizing competitive play enough to already be putting a tournament system in place with the software and the tracking and everything that goes into it. So that's a huge news for me. So the various tiers that they've announced is, and I'm going to basically, I'm going to go by what I think is, is the logical tiering on this, which is the lowest tier being planetary qualifier. Uh, planetary qualifier to me is something along the lines of, let's say, a ProQuest or a Road to Nationals in Flesh and Blood, or something like a, a an RCQ, which is a regional championship qualifier in um, in Magic, which is typically something along the lines of like, you know, f uh, between 30 and 60 players on average, something within that realm of like 50, 45 to 50 players. Uh, winners basically get a free pass to the the next the next stage which is um in this case would be sector qualifier but do you have any initial thoughts on the scope of what planetary qualifier would be well so it's interesting that you thought that was going to be the lowest i actually th thought that regional would be the lowest so again just to reiterate for the folks if you are listening uh just via audio and you're not watching on youtube or we've potentially got the graphic up uh, the three choices are planetary, regional, and sector. Now, in my mind, regional was actually the lowest, meaning for you as the player, it's whatever is in your immediate region. And then I felt like they were going to provide cheeky Star Wars-themed names for the slightly larger ones. So to me, a planetary would be next because that's a planet is smaller than a sector in space, right? And a planetary, in my mind, is going to be something probably close to like a, a state championship used to be for Magic the Gathering. Now I know they got away from states a long time ago and it might not be a true state thing. That might be also why they're going with uh, the, the planetary because maybe in uh, rural areas, you might combine a, a couple of states or whatever. Um, also, when you go to international where some of your countries are, you know, bigger or smaller than states, right? You, you get that flexibility. But to me, it would be something akin to like a, a state championship. And then you go up to the sector, and to me, sector is like your your U.S. championship, right? And then the Galactic is your world championship. So in my mind, it was like your regionals, whatever is close to you in your region, and then you go to planetary, which is likely your state or province, uh, or roughly that size. And then the, the sector is, in my mind, something like a, a national championship. So the reason why I went in that order of like planetary, sector, regional... Uh, is twofold. Number one is I started at the top and went clockwise. I just went from like the that sort of logic. And the second is I went from the 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 essentially the darkness of the blue filling inside. So planetary qualifier is the lightest blue. Sector qualifier yeah. slightly darker. Regional qualifier is darkest. So, but I get I get what you're saying. But again, like to me, I feel like region like regional could be like I I'm feeling like planetary is like is is kind of like the lowest so, yeah, it, yeah no it could be so it, here's the thing right like region could be your immediate region um but if you go to the esports side of things right so like you and i also have an esports background regional also could be something representative of your continent right so it could be like the north american region and that might be why it's the biggest so it could be planetary 
is your small sector is like your either state or national championship or whatever and then regional might be like you know north america europe like that kind of a region maybe we're looking at this all wrong maybe i think if you're taking it from that regard where regional is like north america south america east europe west europe couple spots of asia oceania maybe they just do eight and then galactic championship is just a top eight what if that were the case i mean it takes away the, from the grand spectacle and the and the big event yeah, that would it'd be... be interesting from a production standpoint it'd be kind of hype because then if you were somebody who is broadcasting that um you know hire us if you're looking for talent <laughs> um if you were just somebody doing broadcast and you do a straight cut to the top eight it gives you a lot of time to do interesting things with like player profiles and stories so like when i covered the elder scrolls legends for example um, we had four weeks of the Masters series, which had qualifiers all over the world. But then when we settled on our top eight players, they all came to QuakeCon in person. But we knew that top eight in advance. And so when they landed, we could do player interviews and had like a media day. And we did all of these things to like really get the, the storylines there. And I know that we do our best to do those things for some of these like larger contests. But like when your world championship still has a couple hundred you know, plus participants, it's a lot harder to get those like niche storylines. But when you cut to that top eight ahead of time, like there's a lot of really cool things you can do on a broadcast. Gwent, Gwent Masters did that as well, uh, where we'd fly, like we'd fly into Warsaw to the studio and, you know, uh, rehearsals were Friday, but on the Wednesday and Thursday, they took the players and did these you know, interviews, took them around, took filmed the rod of B-roll to produce a really good profile on the players. And that's something that I've always fought for from like Flesh and Blood's uh, major yeah. thing. But at the same time, it's like you said, if it's a bigger spectacle, it's hard to do that because you don't know who's going to be performing well in the Swiss rounds to cut to a top eight. But it's... <laughs> It's hard to get somebody to cut a promo when you don't expect like the one Levia in the field to go nine and zero or whatever, you know? Bingo. So With crayons. So that's kind of where where we're at on this, and I would I would kind of say so. Planetary sector regional. There's three that feed in. It's like a ladder system, I would imagine. Uh, it's tiered that lead into galactic championship, which let's be real it's the world championships it's the it's who's going to be crowned it's the biggest prize it's the biggest payday most likely uh it's going to be the biggest show so um i am i am more than hyped about this and i am I like this is something where we don't know what the structure is going to be the qualification aspects are going to be but based on the op structure that they're putting out and what they've said this looks like a, a structure that is both for the spikes and the grinders. I think that this both can definitely uh, make this happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to depend on exactly how the qualifications work, right? The thing that we don't know yet, we know that tournament points are going to be tracked, but what we don't know is whether or not if you win these, that's also an instant qualification because there could be theoretically a system where Maybe you win a planetary qualifier, but if that's the only event you play in and they maybe only do a cut on points, it might not be enough, right? We don't know if they're going to have the equivalent of like invites or PTIs or, or things like that. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, obviously, you and I are dying to get more info. And as soon as we get it and we're told that we can share it, then we will talk about it for sure. But uh, I, I could see them 
you know, maybe do away with the direct invites and say, hey, we want you to not just show up and, and spike one tournament. We want you to be, you know, part of the community and participate more frequently. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like you got to invite people who, who win these big these bigger tournaments. I think that that's definitely part and parcel to it. Um, the other question is, are they going to do what Flesh and Blood does, which allows the transfer of invites to major tournaments? And that was a hot topic at the beginning, but I am absolutely sold on that because the amount of success stories you see from people who buy those invites from others, um, Brian Gottlieb, who is um, the, one of the designers from Flesh and Blood and also just a card game you know, guy through and through for, for God he's knows He's one of us. Yeah. He, <laughs> he's the one who actually convinced me that it, it's a good thing early on by saying not everyone has the time to grind. And are you saying that, you know, like he says, like go to go to Harry Tarantula, which is my LGS here in Toronto. He said, go to Harry Tarantula and look around. How many world? How many people in that room can win a tournament? But how many do? He's like, are you telling me that this person versus this person, that this person doesn't have what it takes to potentially win one of these big tournaments? He's like, if that person chooses to buy their way into the big tournament because they didn't have an opportunity to play a million different tournaments to finally win one or get the points or whatever, you know, some people just choose to use their time in other ways buy their invite in and then go win the tournaments and in reality the latest pro tour of from yeah. flesh and blood the second place finisher the runner-up mara faris bought her pti because she just didn't have time to qualify because she was busy vending her her art at yeah she works as an artist at the events so she doesn't get to compete but also I love that story specifically with her. If you're not from the Flesh and Blood community, she essentially bet on herself. So she said, hey, I think I'm one of the best Romai players in the world. And she always talks a big game. And people, you know, were kind of giving her a hard time. And so she finally said, all right, I'm going to put up or shut up. She bet on herself, bought a PTI, and then did the best out of any Dromai player and came within one win of being the world champ or the Pro Tour champion. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Maybe she will be the world champion. I don't know. She's a fantastic player. Um, but again, great success story for those scenarios. So that's definitely an opportunity for this. Um, but still, again, uh, it, it looks like it's a it's both accommodating to the spikes, meaning the players who try hard, go there with the objective of just winning that tournament, like all out practice, whatever. Or the grinders who are like, hey, I know I'm not great, but if I if I I'm always above rate slightly, so if I continue to go to tournaments, I'll acquire enough points that I will qualify. So I think it's accommodating to both, and I want to put this up against what I think and what a lot of people think is a very very well done tournament structure, which is Flesh and Blood's tournament structure. So um, if you're again, if you're watching this, uh, you can see it. If not, I invite you to check out our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com/slash/atwampa-radio, but there is a here is flesh and blood's tournament structure it's a four tiered structure and as we go up the tiers you tell me which one of the star wars casual or competitive things kind of slot in so charmer tier one armories what where where are your armories here so this is the i'll just jump ahead this is like the entire casual tier this tier four so armories are the weekly play or the on-demand stuff. Tier one, tier one. The, yeah, tier tier one here, right? Yeah. So uh, the pre-releases fall into that as well. And then this is also, it's funny because I hadn't 
like seen this graphic until just now. Uh, but earlier when I was saying that I felt like the store showdown could be akin to the skirmish, I can't help but notice, but on, on this graphic, skirmish is the largest text, right? So uh, I do think that, I, again, this first tier on the Flesh and Blood organized play is very much the, the casual core for what the Star Wars Unlimited organized play is going to be. Definitely, and I agree with you there. I think that that's, that's definitely it. Uh, moving forward, you've got uh, the Tier 2. This is where you get into the competitive side of things where... Um, you know the when someone if ever you hear the term what is the rel rel sounds for rule enforcement level and it is either competitive or casual or something in between depending on the game you're playing this is where the competitive rules kick in this is where the the sweatiness gets involved and the tier two here is battle hardened pro quest road to nationals battle hardened being the bigger of of the three here but this to me just is like your your planetary this is your Okay, you win one of these, your the prizes are going to be so-so, but what you're getting is a ticket to a a bigger event. You're getting a guaranteed access to the big show. Yeah, I think that that tracks. I also think that you've won me over with your blue hue theory. So uh, <laughs> going with the lightest color uh, planetary there, I, I think that's probably where this slots in. What's interesting is that the Star Wars graphic has the planetary directly pointing toward Galactic Championship, though, whereas we know with the Flesh and Blood, if you win a Battle Hardened, then you might not necessarily get to skip the line all the way to, uh, you know, the the World Championship unless you you take that PTI. But, like, well, Battle Hardened has the PTI, but, like, ProQuest, for example. ProQuest, it, it's specific to that event right it's not a one-way ticket to wherever you want so yeah and, and it's not a direct translation i think of these two and i think that star wars is probably doing something completely unique and the reason why i think that is because all of the the nodes that are pointing to galactic championship all say qualifier on them so they all get you they all get you access to sort of something else whereas if you win a battle hardened that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to national championships. Like, I don't think, or do you get a PTI in that? Or do you, you might get a pro tour invite or you get something like that, but you're not so, guaranteed yeah, into a, another level. Yeah. Road to nationals is specifically for national championship. ProQuest is specifically for whatever the next pro tour event is. And battle hardened being like the biggest of that lower tier is a actual PTI for the winner is the way it is now. Okay. It didn't used to be that way, but that's that's the way that it is now. So technically, a battle hardened, you you could you know jump up to world championship, but the other ones are like event specific. Okay, so the battle hardened is like you can choose where you want to use this. Uh, okay, now I'm understanding. Uh, nonetheless, it all leads up to you know sector qualifiers, regional qualifiers. The next tier on Flesh and Blood, tier three. This is where the big money's at. Uh, national champions, uh, calling winners. Usually walk away with, you know, five to ten thousand dollars plus a very exclusive prize. Like usually it's a card that sells for two to five thousand dollars based on what it is randomly. Uh, but it also comes with the prestige of saying, hey, there's I am my national champion, which you know, being called your national champion, I think is such a rad thing. I think it is like it's 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 just it kind of 
as a proud Canadian, it resonates with me. If I was like, I'm the Canadian champion, like that means something, man. Like there's some, there's some Listen, oomph to that. I can't wait to be like the outer rim champion. <laughs> wait, how I many, can't wait to be how many boffins, how many boffins need to die for that to happen for you? <laughs> Tell us right now, you sicko. I will say, hey, uh, all jokes aside, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that they steal from flesh and blood, and they carry over to Star Wars Unlimited. It is giant oversized checks to the winner because now that I know that you get to keep those in flesh and blood, I actually want to win an event because I just have this weird desire to be presented a giant oversized check. So. Yeah. The last time, I think it was it was when Michael Hamilton won the World Championships of Flesh and Blood. There was a picture of him at like the FedEx office. <laughs> Like, so they're like, can you wrap this and send it? And they're like, it's going to be expensive. He's like, look at the check, idiots. Like, it, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can afford it. I can afford it. How many zeros is on this giant oversized check? <laughs> it, tons, dude. It's like a surfboard size. It was, I had to, I had to like, I was there handing it over. Like, you know, I was, I was on that stage. I'm like, this thing is massive. It's bigger than you think. Um, aside from that, uh, again, call, like, Callings and national championships. Obviously, national championships is a once a year thing. Callings are open tournaments, um, but they're big. The last calling that uh, I think the calling at Pro Tour Baltimore had over 900 people playing in it. So, yep. as prestigious as national championships are, callings are harder to win because everybody's out there uh, trying to trying to get it. So those are also fairly prestigious. If you if I really were to think about it, I can name every calling champion that has ever been because there's only been like eight or nine callings, right? There's only been I think there's like ten ever. So it's still a very prestigious uh, thing. I think we're over ten now when you count international ones. Uh maybe I guess uh, I think I'm just thinking about like classic constructed. Um, no offense to Blitz or whatever, but um, calling the point I'm trying to make is that calling championships are are like magic grand prix like they're huge yeah people are gonna show up they're gonna play you're gonna have to grind through two days of swiss possibly or or you know or yeah two days of swiss you're probably doing like seven or eight rounds on day one and maybe five the next day like put that through your brain and see if you can come out of it on the other side it's maybe, hard maybe five just to get to the top eight and then you gotta compete against the best yeah in the event when your brain is mush yeah, you got some blue milk swimming around in your in your noggin at that point. But callings are are pretty pretty big up there, which to me I think are the final echelon until you get to what is Galactic Championship, which in my opinion is probably going to be like a it's going to be like a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar tournament. Yeah, potentially, uh, it could be a bunch of Galactic credits. Uh, won't get you very far with Watto, but yeah. might might get you somewhere else why, uh, on the right why planet. Why didn't he just give Watto the broken broken ship that he had, which is shiny and new and amazing and better than anything that this clown shoe has in his shop, and say, I'll trade you this for whatever hyperspace-worthy ship that you've got and this child, which, you know, without any context is pretty gross, but... <laughs> like you know but does that not cross your mind at any point i i think it's um i think it's a a complex question 
that actually has a lot of nuance to it. Like, I, I know that it's a, a prequel movie and whatever, but I think the reality is, one, Watto has been around the block, so he knows desperation when he sees it. And if if Qui-Gon leads with that, then Watto is going to be like, hey, you know, I, I can't do that, or I'm going to give you, you know, uh, uh, here's, a, here's a hyperspace-worthy ship, but then it fails, and then he continues to extort him, right? Like, if you fix the ship, then you know at least that ship works. It's your own craftsmanship, right? So getting the part... I think is actually lower risk. And then I also think that there's uh, maybe a bit to do with the fact that like, it's not his ship to give away, right? Like he's just trying to negotiate for the part. It's technically still, you know, so you did say like, I just, I I think that there's a bit there, but the, you did say negotiate for the ship and he was on with Obi-Wan part of the negotiation team to discuss the the blockade of Naboo. So he does have negotiation skills. They, they are there. So I don't put it past him. What confuses me that he's okay to just go ahead and, you know, manipulate the dice roll like Watto's Chance Cube to go see this eight-year-old boy in a Mad Max Fury Road style death match out there against a whole bunch of psychos in, in a pod race. He's willing to put it all on that. But he can't offer the ship to open up negotiations. He's like, nah, man. I I I just want to see some. I want to see Twisted Metal three in front of my eyes. Like that's what I want to see. I think that if you're in Qui Gon's shoes, right? We're gonna derail for a moment. Bear <laughs> Let's with me. go. If you're in Qui Gon's shoes and you see somebody that might be incredibly force sensitive, I I think that you're actually tunnel visioning on seeing if the kid is worth it. And so he's actually, I think, manufacturing a scenario to test this kid and using this as his his justification for it, right? Sometimes, like, even as people, we do things and we manufacture things out of our own desires. I think Qui-Gon just really wanted to test the kid and felt like, hey, if he can do this pod race thing then he's worth it. And if not, whatever, like, I'm, I'm a Jedi. Then I'll he's, no, it it's not no, whatever. He's backup. Like, the backup plan is... Like he just steals the part anyway. Like, let's be honest. No, he's he's part not, aside. He, the he, consequence. He's not a trustworthy Jedi, right? He's already manipulating dice games. So the, the it's not like it's not outside the realm of possibility for Qui Gon to just like go in at night and steal from Watto anyway. I like I how he's, this he's was all about the kid. He's sharking and angle shooting <laughs> pod yeah. race. But like when you say that, oh, like you know, it was a risk because if he if he makes it, then he's worth it. If he doesn't make it, he's probably dead. Like that's what he's putting up there. Like the kid's like, oh, we almost had the chosen one, but he flew into a crater on the side of like Beggars Canyon. Like okay, whatever, but. All right, yeah, we definitely derailed a bit because uh, uh, I, I think that does it for for our initial takes on organized play. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that based on our last conversation of children dying, it's a good time for us to transition to the bad feeling mailbag. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about okay. quiet. All right, so this week. Uh, bad feeling mailbag as we really really try to navigate this wonderful podcast the two of us um it didn't take long i think it took about all of like three minutes on our first episode to be like yeah this is what we should be doing which is just having fun uh i do invite everybody who enjoys this podcast to go check out charmer and i casting 
flesh and blood events <laughs> because it's <laughs> yeah it's much of um, this i tell you that it's much. a lot of this you're in for a treat all right first question from saibotsu at fab shinobi asks do you believe there will be money involved in a um in flesh and blood or play mats or what am i saying yeah do you it's do you believe there will be money involved as oh. in flesh and blood or play mats and promos as in Fantasy Flight games, meaning that up until now, because they haven't done like a true trading card game, right? A lot of the stuff that Fantasy Flight has done for support has been uh, product, right? Like play mats, promos, etc. Flesh and Blood obviously came out swinging with their big organized play thing. So uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to uh, tackle this one because I think it's going to be money because in their press release... They said, I, I, I've had this pulled up. I've been raring to go. I want to read this. Are you ready? It says, uh, the focus of competitive events is to provide an opportunity for players to test their skills and strategies against one another in a fair and competitive environment. This is where the glory and prestige of organized play can be found with large scale tournaments and massive prize pools to look forward to. Now, there's no actual dollar amount listed, but you don't say massive prize pools when you mean alternate art foil. Well, what if it's a playmat that's the size of that check? Then it's a massive prize. Well, then pool. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> might not be what might not be what our listener wants, but I'm in. <laughs> wow, I've never seen you so dedicated to studying and practicing a game, there, Charmer. What is it? It's a massive, huge, uh, you know, Humvee-sized playmat. I can't wait to. You know what? I don't know why I just thought of this, but like, I want to take the imagery of a, a playmat for a game I like and have it printed on a blanket, like a. And then just have a blanket-sized playmat that I sleep with. Just print it on, like, some, like you know, like, I don't know if people still do this. I don't have a pool. I live in an apartment. Uh, but my parents have a pool. They cover the pool sometimes. Just take that, you know? Get, like, yeah. an Olympic-sized pool cover and just, you know, jam some play zones in it. Um, I, I, 100%, it's money. Um, if you're advertising organized play and you're hyping it and you're you're having a structure with a world championship or galactic championship it's going to be money nobody is flying anywhere nobody is traveling and paying the expense of travel accommodations food all that other stuff Gotta bribe the empire uh maybe do the kessel run like you're not doing that for a foil vader unless the foil vader is worth 10 grand because you can't give out tons of like i can see i can see playmats and promo cards as part of your entry fee because that's what other card games do you go in and it's like i'm gonna play for the i'm gonna play in my sector qualifier it's a very big tournament entry fee is 70 bucks but i get a playmat i get some promos and i get some sleeves so at least if i scrub out i'm coming away with something and that feels good and those are very exclusive and i will say this because every calling that i've ever played in i have sold the mat and I have sold all the promos and stuff that I get from that. And I come back way ahead. I come back way ahead. If my entry fee is like 70 bucks, usually by the end of it, I'm selling all the stuff that I acquire for about 150. So the the exclusivity of the promos and, and trinkets that you get is still attractive. But if they are serious, which it sounds like they are, it is going to be a lot of money. What's next? Next question. From, Which you could uh, use to buy the freedom of those uh, poor pod race children that Charmer takes joy in seeing race to the death. 
That is his, as his first order of business, not even considering negotiation. You know what we need? We need, uh, as far as an intro goes, right? Like, I know we have our intro for this podcast, and I don't know why I have just now thought of this, but we need uh, to have something that says, now this is podcasting. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. That is very yeah, good. Like, we we need to like record something and and make that happen because so, you're right. I do take uh, glee in the small children death race, but that made me think of that line, right? I- iconic lines. All right. Yeah. Well, I, so here's here's what I was. Uh, my intention was after about ten episodes, I was going to redo the in- intro, elongate it with silly clips and phrases from the two idiots that are us, and add them in there with like you know some star wars like clips that have like a fun intro and, and whatnot and i thought i'm like i'm gonna give us 10 10 episodes to breathe we'll have some stuff to to pull out of there some funny lines and whatever and that'll be good but i mean i could probably right now just do a 30 second intro of just you violating the geneva convention <laughs> with my smucker's face yeah with your smucker's face. now this is podcasting like <laughs> Son of a bitch. Um, all right, next one up. All is... right, next question. Uh, yeah. This is from Echo Base Gaming. There are a lot of iconic duos in Star Wars. Funny, because we were just talking about that as a potential poll. Uh, do you guys think we will see something like the partner keyword as in MTG Commander? So... I... Okay, so... I, I was going to say, I'll defer to you. Okay, so I have um, a, an answer to this that is a yes and no answer to this. I think that you are not going to see something like partner in the in the same vein that you're thinking from uh from magic because partner is basically in commander for magic it's like you can have two commanders as long as they are partners so you can play one and then play the other and if they're both in play at the same time typically they they just either better than the sum of their parts etc i don't think that that's what's what we're going to see but what i do think we're going to see is i think we're going to see uh duos that are like for instance you might have a leader that is han solo who you know if you have five resources you put them into play but i do think that you're going to have some of those shoot for the moon type cards down the line where it's like han and chewy but instead of five resources you need like nine but they're like a they are a force to be reckoned with you know something like that like r2 and 3po like the two of them together just you know going crazy or something like that uh um you know anakin and ahsoka or something like that yeah i see i'm of the same mind i think that we're gonna have cards that will represent the duo right so as you said it will be you know han and leia or han and chewy or or something in that vein i do also think that whether or not it's duo we will see something almost like a uh, tribal is the closest mechanic i can think of where you're going to have cards that still interplay with each other. So I think specifically of something like crew, right? Like you might have crew, like the rebels crew, right? And that might just be a tag on them. And then they all have different things. You know, I get a bonus based on the number of rebel crew I see or something like that. Or you could, you know, maybe do something that was like a loyalty as a keyword. And then it might be like loyalty Vader for people that are loyal to Vader or loyal to the emperor or, you know, have a, a life debt to a, a Wookiee or something, right? Like, I, I could see them doing something like that. I I think that the, the crew thing makes the most sense just because we know that 
you know, we've got the air and the ground and there's going to have to be some support between the two. And so I, I do like the idea of having, uh, again, a Han Solo getting a benefit from a Millennium Falcon being on the field as well. So um, I suspect they'll do something like that with keywords. It would be kind of cool if they did something like Duo. I don't think they'll do true partner, though, because I know we're going to get different versions of characters as well. So I suspect that instead they're just going to leverage the uniqueness of the characters and mention them by name. Concur. Concur. All right. Well, that uh, that closes up the bad feeling mailbag. I want to say thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Again, if you want to submit questions, you could um, you could email us at Wampa Radio Podcast or uh, is it Wampa Radio or Wampa Radio Podcast? I think it's Wampa Radio Podcast at gmail.com. But tweet at us at Wampa Radio, myself at Watch Flake and uh, Charmbaka over here. Uh, the the my furry sidekick is at at that charm three R charmer with a three instead of a, an E. Right, it's my droid designation. Correct. Uh, and you already opened this. You you opened. Here's how we're gonna end this episode, Charmer. Are you ready for this? Because okay. before we started recording, you already initially annoyed the hell out of me, right? Yeah, I did. And but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually throw you a curveball here. I want you to close the episode with the way that you annoyed me in your droidness, but as Charmbaka. Are you? Do you understand the assignment? I I do, but the the thing is, is I don't know that I can do a Charmbaka voice. It could be whatever the hell you want, baby. I mean, no, because I I can't do. I have tried my entire life as somebody who like loves Chewy. I've tried my entire life to do a Wookie noise, and I just can't. Listen, uh, do or do not, there is no try. So where are you at? Where are you at? <laughs> oh, wow. It's a, it sounds, I sound like a Muppet. I sound like an angry Muppet when I try. Like, All that's right. the problem. Okay, so, so, so uh, g- give us give us your, uh, your, your, your droid sign-off, and then, and then we're out of here. And th- again, thank you, for all, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening and watching. We'll see you next week.